of the sermon too. Here, here we go. And, and my aim is to keep it brief. Uh, this past week was more than exhausting, and so I usually have a, a manuscript. All I have is some scribbled down notes. So there you go. Mark chapter 14 is where we're at. As we come through uh, kind of an exhausting week, uh, there's like more on the calendar as a church for uh, more mission that we're looking at, whether it's blessing Lawton or um, a number of things, you know, that we're trying to plan for uh, the fall. We'd like to continue to do some of the door-to-door canvassing that we did uh, this past month. We don't want the ball to get dropped, so to speak. Um, but the question remains is like, how do, how do we posture ourselves as we're moving forward? Like, we shouldn't just like, okay, busy ourselves and strive to be about the mission. I don't want us to get burned out, worn out. I want to make sure, mostly, that our hearts are kind of postured for kind of next steps. How do we move forward? And as I was thinking through some of those things, uh, the Lord put Mark 14 uh, on my heart. So Mark 14, we have the example of a woman who postures herself for really the next things to come. Uh, At this point in Mark chapter 14, uh, we see that the Feast of Leavened Bread and the Passover is underway, which means that Jesus' death and resurrection is soon to come. So Mark chapter 14, and we'll take, we'll learn a few things for this woman who did a beautiful thing. It states this, Verse 1, it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So there's the backdrop. The, The religious are aiming to kill Jesus. The drama is unfolding, but they're going with stealth. Why? Because Jerusalem is probably now quadrupled in size because of the feasts that are happening. And so they want to be careful that they don't stir an uproar. Verse 3, and while Jesus was at Bethany, so Jesus was at Jerusalem, turning over the tables and all that kind of stuff. He was stirring up some things there. He's now taking some reprieve. He's gone to Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. And as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus, don't you love that? But Jesus, he says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. 
As we think about moving forward, a few of the things that we can learn from this beautiful thing, this beautiful woman, is that first and foremost, she was vulnerable. When you look at the first few verses, we, we come to find that there is some tension uh, in the area, right? Jerusalem is filled with all kinds of people, and yes, Jesus has stirred up some drama. The religious are looking to kill him, and what that means is if you're siding with Jesus, most likely your head's on the chopping block as well. For a woman to demonstrate her allegiance in such a way like this, in a public setting, their homes were open, right? People could see in what was going on. And in this case, what she is doing, she's aligning herself with Jesus and therein taking incredible risk. In fact, if you would find uh, this same passage that is in the Gospel of John, John chapter 12, what we come to find out is that Jesus is not only the one who is being sought out to be killed, but Lazarus. They're seeking to kill Lazarus. You mean, remember the story of Lazarus, right? Lazarus is dead, and Jesus comes along, and who are the sisters of Lazarus but Mary and Martha? And what we come to find out is the woman here in this text is actually Mary. She is Lazarus's sister. And of course, Lazarus has died. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Of course, that stirs up a whole drama as well. Because now there's been power demonstrated. And what are the religious leaders going to do with that? Well, let's kill Jesus, let's kill Lazarus. And here Mary then is taking an incredible step. She is demonstrating incredible vulnerability to likewise lay her neck on the line for Jesus. She's aligning herself with Jesus. But what she also knows is that stepping into this context, which would have been primarily men, at this table, this dinner, is she's doing something that actually stands against the cultural tide. There is not supposed to be women at the table. Kind of this patriarchal society. She is stepping into uh, a situation where she's, she's about to offend those who are around that table just by way of her presence. Not to mention what she's about to do for Jesus. She is vulnerable. In other words, she's willing to stick her neck out, whether it was outside of the house without or now within the house. She's demonstrating incredible risk, which proves to the fact that she is one who is incredibly vulnerable. She's willing to stick her neck out for Jesus. She's willing to suffer with him, whether it be the accusations that then are raised at the table. She breaks that alabaster flask and pours it over Jesus. And, and as the text says, they are indignant. It has the idea of, um, you know, it's, it, it's the bull at the rodeo, so to speak, that is just fired up. You know, his nostrils are flaring as he's stomping the ground. That's where the word indignant comes from. It's it's the men at the table are flaring their nostrils at her. They're coming against her then with all of this argument. And the idea is they're not just saying it once. They're constantly saying it. They're constantly berating her for what she just did. 
She has stuck her neck out in vulnerability, willing to suffer the risk. There is more to it. If we would look at John's account of this story, when John describes Mary, he describes her in John chapter 11 as the woman who has previously already done this before. It takes you to the count of Luke chapter 7, where this woman comes into Simon the Pharisee's house, not Simon the leper's house, and does a very similar thing. But in that text, she is called a woman of the city. Most likely, she's a prostitute. That is her vocation. And there she anoints Jesus. This is a woman who comes with incredible woundedness, incredible trauma. 90% of those in prostitution have suffered grievous sexual abuse in prior to their history, right? She is a woman who's hurting. She is broken, traumatized. And yet, when it comes to this situation, there is a level of vulnerability at work in her that is what we would say supernatural. You don't go through all that you've gone through to just be one who's willing to just stick your neck out again and suffer abuse all over again. You would have learned by now, right, that, that you, you have those tactics of defense. I know what pain is, I know what trauma is, I know what it is to be emotionally broken, and so I'm going to find ways to cope with all my brokenness so I don't ever have to experience that again. The beauty of Mary in this context, in her vulnerability, in her willingness to actually risk, points us to the fact that there has been remarkable healing in her life. Jesus is her portion. He is her healing. He is her sense of significance. She's not living in the pain of the past. She's living in the life of Jesus. Even when it comes to what would have been emotional struggles, the trauma that she has faced, she is one who has been healed. There is context that she is working from. Jesus has, in some sense, brought healing to the very depths of her being, which gives her a standing to be vulnerable to take risks. We went out a few weeks ago, canvas door to door. As simple as that is, it feels risky, right? Feels risky. I don't want to do this. I can find every reason not to do this. Busyness, kids, whatever else, the list is there. But, but when you stick your neck out, when you do mission, when you go out and proclaim Christ to others, there's risk involved. But when we are working from a place of woundedness, we won't have the vulnerability necessary to actually do the mission, nor to actually live by the Spirit in us who would empower the mission. We live by the defenses 
and the coping strategies that we've learned along the way. This woman has put those coping strategies to the side and said, I'm going to be led by the resurrection life that is in me. She's one who is working, living from a place of vulnerability because she's trusting. She's trusting in Jesus. Now, I don't want to give you kind of rose-colored glasses either. For a woman who's gone through all that she has gone through, will, will, will there be temptations and hardships and the emotional struggles every day? Yes. Yeah, you better believe, like, she's not glorified yet. There's going to be troubles along the way, but she is fighting. She is fighting for faith. She's fighting to say, just as we sung earlier, he is good. He is good. He is good. Those are fighter words to sing that he's never going to let me down. It's not to say I'll never face grave difficulty. It's to say I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight to live according to the resurrection life that is in me. And with the resurrection life that is in me, it's true. He will never let me down. In life or in death, he's just not going to. With all kinds of disappointments that come my way, he won't let me down. He'll continue to be the good shepherd he's promised to be through it all. I want to be like this woman. I want to be like this woman who lives in a place of vulnerability where, where, where the past, I can look at my past and my struggles and my sin and my brokenness and see it only in the blood of Christ. I want, I want to feel the temptations and fears that rise up within my heart, and I want, to, I want to do the work to submit them to the authority of Jesus Christ. One of the concerns I have for us, again, I bring this up, um, brought it up a few weeks ago, maybe a month now, is many of you are in therapy for various reasons. And again, I would say, good, <laughs> common grace, right? Therapists, counselors have good things to provide us, helps us understand kind of the trials and difficulties and trauma that we've gone through. It's good, it's necessary even. But we have to be careful to work from a biblical worldview. We have to make sure that we're not just understanding our pain, but actually recognizing that part of what scripture would tell us is that from the heart proceeds the issues of life. That there are beliefs going on deep within my heart that are sometimes wrong. And those wrong beliefs produce fear. Those wrong ways of living produce, and uh, to just say, I don't want to like be, we've, I've had conversations with some of you, uh, but I think it's good for everyone to uh, hear, I'm not naming your names or anything, but like, don't think that I'm just pointing the finger at you, because we all struggle with this. Uh, so, like, when our minds race, and I can't sleep, sometimes we've lived our life in such a way that it's, it's always going, going that way. I'm, I'm, like, hardwired to just go that way. But that has oftentimes been produced by certain belief systems that I have to be in control. Right? And, and it's taking these deeper beliefs that are at work within my heart and understanding what it is to submit them to Christ, to, to bring them under the authority of Christ, to bring truth to bear to my heart, do the wrestling. 
It doesn't mean that we should never deal with the symptoms in our life, but we should also be dealing with the deep beliefs of our heart that we're all wrestling through in one way or another. And this is why a secular counselor isn't going to provide the full picture. Even if it's some sort of biochemistry kind of issue that you're struggling, maybe it's depression, not because of past hurts and difficulties and those kind of things, or, or what, but maybe it's the true kind of like physiological thing. It's like, all right, well, let's get the help for that. But also know that there are going to be lies and beliefs attached to the experience of that that must be submitted to the authority and truth of Christ. Do you get what I'm saying? We need truth. We need truth. We can't just rest on therapies and counseling to give me a good life. You have the life of Christ. Right? So it's how do I live from that point? And again, don't hear me wrong. Utilize the common grace that the world affords. It's given ultimately of God. But be discerning and know that in the process, we need to get to the heart of the matter where beliefs are formed and shaped and from which come the issues of life. This woman is demonstrating a level of vulnerability because she's dealt with the beliefs of her heart. She's informed her heart with the beauty and worth of Christ. She's in some sense been touched by him, healed by him, still, yes, broken, but she is one who is holding fast to Jesus and therefore not holding fast to her coping mechanisms and her defenses, but one who has torn down the walls so that she can actually stick her neck out for the sake of saying, my Jesus is worth it. Come what may, bring more hardship, bring more bruises, bring more abuse, but I'm serving my Jesus. I'm going to live in tenderness before him. I'm going to live in vulnerability before him. As we've gone through a busy week, ministry, mission, thinking about sharing Jesus with others, it it can be exhausting. But I want to be careful that we're not putting up the defenses, living from a place of defense and coping, and man, I just need rest. Sometimes you don't need rest. Is that okay to say? <laughs> Sometimes you don't need rest. Sometimes you just need to be obedient to what the Spirit is saying. And if he's saying rest, yeah, you better rest. But it's these kind of things that don't try to calculate it in your head. You need the relationship of the Holy Spirit. He knows you better than you know yourself. He's your counselor. That's like the actual word in the Bible for him. He is your counselor, right? So you go to him. What what do you want of me? And how do I walk in faithfulness to you? we got to keep a posture of vulnerability. We need to know that Jesus is my portion. He is my significance. He is my identity. He is my strength. He is my portion. All right, got to move on. Secondly, we see from this woman that she's sacrificial. She she has this posture of sacrifice. Uh, Notice in verse 3 what she does. Uh, we see this alabaster flask of ointment. And, and it's, I mean, just Mark, uh, as he writes this, he's very intentional to, to list that this ointment is of pure nard, very costly. In other words, what she is doing is just absolutely no joke. It would have captivated the attention of the room. What she is doing in this moment is just insane. 
come to find out that it's probably worth upwards of 300 denarii, which is a whole year's wage of work. So take your salary and waste it in a moment. If you saw someone do that, you would be like, you are an idiot. You are a fool to do such things. This, and by the way, this, this could have been some sort of like insurance plan for the family. If things go south, well, hold on to this family heirloom. That'll provide some sense of security to the family itself. What she is doing, she's abandoning all security and sacrificing it all upon Jesus. It makes no logical sense in what she is doing. She's given it all to Jesus. And the response, when you walk that way, by the way, the, the moralistic folk, they will be indignant. They were constantly, the, the text is saying, they were constantly saying, repeating again and again, why was this ointment wasted? Verse 4. And what's the point of, you know, why is Mark providing all of this information? Well, he's simply demonstrating the fact that in some sense they were trying to justify their own lack of sacrifice. We can always justify our own lack of sacrifice and involvement in the mission, right? We can always justify it. And here, this is what the moralistic folks are doing. And by the way, we do this as a church. These, these are Jesus' disciples. These aren't like the, the Pharisees or anything. No, they, these are the folks in the inner circle, in the circle of trust. And they're having an issue with this because it's actually exposing in them their lack of sacrifice. And so they want to justify the moment. She's wrong, she's wrong, she's wrong, so we can feel a sense of right in the moment. Folks, when it comes to church life, when it comes to uh, the mission, even the stuff that we did this past week, let's be careful when people are lavish in their service. Let's be careful when people, even in a context like this, are lavish in their expression of worship. I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I've, I've gone through the discomfort of the whole, like, why do people raise their hands in worship, and why do people shout and do all this thing, or they're just trying to bring attention to themselves, and, and I certainly couldn't do that, because then I'll be a distracting you. You list all the stuff to justify your own inactivity. <laughs> Rather than saying, oh, according to Scripture, I'm called to raise my hands both in surrender and celebration, to the worthy one. I, I'm called in scripture, just read the Psalms, to give shouts of praise. You got a mouth for a reason. You got hands for a reason. You got a body for a reason. And it's supposed to be utilized in a time of worship. Now, yes, we don't want to be the one trying to gain all the attention. I get it. But I think we're oftentimes just justifying our own inactivity. This is my... This is my personality. It might be your personality. And I think there's some legitimacy to all, to all of that. But I want to be careful. Even You know, uh, I've explained to you guys before, um, 
growing up, man, I was th this shy kid. And I, and I thought, I thought this is just my temperament. This is just something I got to live with. This is something I got to figure out. Every time I get in conversation with someone, you know, I get so fearful. Fear wells up. Uh, um, and the fact of the matter is it wasn't a temperament issue. It was a sin issue. I cared way too much what other people thought of me. That was the issue at play. I was living before the face of man rather than living quorum Deo before the face of God. I was so concerned about their eyes and what they saw versus God's eyes and what he saw. I lived for their favor and their approval rather than his favor and his approval, which I received freely through Jesus. And that's the point, folks. Don't, we have to be careful not to just justify kind of our own position and be faithful to whatever God is calling you to do. Right? Be, be lavish in your sacrifice. Yes, apply wisdom to it all, but be careful of the moralistic tendencies that we have to kind of justify our inactivity. I'm not going to go knock on doors. I'm too busy. I got this and I got that. And, blah, 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 and you just don't want to do it. I, I know my argument has been it doesn't work. It doesn't work to go knock on doors. It doesn't work to you know, go around and just kind of do sidewalk evangelism. It doesn't work. We need, to, we need to do relational evangelism, you know? And it's got to come our way before we actually engage with it kind of a thing. And it's just trying to justify our own inactivity, just to guard our fears rather than being lavish and sacrificial. I want to say at this point, this is why the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives is so important. If you try to do what this lady is doing by letting your mind master the moment, you will fail. This is not a, okay, I've weighed the pros and cons of this moment. You know, what kind of risk is going to be there? And I've weighed, okay, the price of this. And This is a woman who's being led by the Holy Spirit, not mastered by her mind. I've figured it out, now I can do this, now I'm gonna be the person who's written in the book forever. Whenever the gospel's told, my testimony's gonna be. She's not doing that. These things will not make sense outside of a real experiential relationship with the Holy Spirit. No matter how well you master this book, which is important that you do, but these are circumstantial moments. God, what do you want right now? I need to know your heart. This is why we become a praying people. This is why prayer matters. We've got to get on our knees before the Lord. Wait on the Lord. So don't even hear me coming out of here saying, oh, we've got to do more. We've got to be more sacrificial. No, no, no. Maybe the Lord is saying, you need to sit and wait. You need to bend the knee and come and gain my heart and my, my voice before you ever go out and share your voice with someone else. Finally, then, and I love this. She was theological, right? She was vulnerable. Jesus was her portion. 
She was sacrificial because Jesus was her prize. She could give away because Jesus was her everything. But she was theological. All right, look at, look at verse 8, and we'll wrap things up. Verse 8, Jesus says, She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for what? Burial. Think about this. This is Mary. She's already seen resurrection power at work in the life of Lazarus. Jesus has already confessed the fact that he is going to die. And she now is bringing this alabaster flask, not out of just some sort of random sacrificial moment, I'm going to throw all at the feet of Jesus, you know. It's not like that. She is theologically informed. She knows that Jesus is heading somewhere, and she's aligning herself with the agenda of Jesus. Versus, if you look at John chapter 12, the same situation the one who is leading the charge of bringing criticism towards this woman is Judas. That's why Judas is named, verse 10. We see that Judas is heading out, and what is he doing? He's setting the stage for betraying Jesus. Judas was a zealot, which means he was all about seeing Rome conquered, right? And his idea, most likely, is some of it is speculation, but he's following Jesus because he thinks Jesus, as he's done all these miraculous things, is going to take down Rome. But as he's now following Jesus, Jesus is saying, I'm going to die. And Judas is saying, well, now your agenda, Jesus, no longer serves me. Do you get the point? The woman was serving Jesus' agenda while Judas was seeking Jesus to serve his agenda. She's willing to lay down a whole year's wage while Judas is willing to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He's no longer serving my agenda, so it's time to just benefit what I can from him. You see what's happening here? She was theological while Judas was not. She was biblically informed, if you want to use that word. She understood Jesus was going to die, but he's, he's already said that he is resurrection and the life. So if he dies, well, hey, I'm going to prepare him for burial. I'm going to bring the very aroma that would smell good amidst his decomposing body. She's not just offhand, just sacrificing, coming into this moment as, as one who has zeal without knowledge, as Romans chapter 10 says. Paul will, man, he will rebuke the church. you got a bunch of zeal. You're, you're going crazy. You're all excited. You're running, 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 doing all this mission, doing all this stuff, but it's without knowledge. You're not actually bringing truth to bear and actually serving the purposes of Jesus. You're just spinning your wheels. Stop it, he says. This woman is theologically informed. So, to bring this all together, as, as a church, come through a busy week, here's what we want to be careful of, that we're not kind of sitting back, resorting to our defensive posture, you know, where, oh, I just need rest, I just need rest, I just need rest in a self-centered kind of way because, you know, I'm still carrying all the, the damage, and, and as I've given... To others, now I need to, you know, give to myself kind of a thing. We're not playing this game of 
like defensiveness. Let's run to Jesus. Let's just run to Jesus. Let's make sure our hearts remain tender and vulnerable before him. Whatever the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, this is what I want next. All right, Lord, you're going to provide the strength and all the resource necessary to get to that end. Let's remain vulnerable as we look to the next things. But let's also then prepare our hearts to be sacrificial. Right? This is the way of love. It's self-giving. It's the way that Jesus has gone. But not sacrificial in the sense of, oh, okay, i got to do more stuff. But Holy Spirit, what are you asking of me? What are you asking? And, and if he's asking of you uh, of something that's beyond you, don't forget is Jesus worth it? <laughs> I feel like it's beyond me. I feel like today, this morning was beyond me. This message is beyond me. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm coming in. Oh, I got a piece of paper. I don't know how this is going to go. It's beyond me. It's just, you taste your limitations time and time again. But it's like, Lord, is this what you want? Is this what you have? And if, if this is the direct, then you're going to provide the strength and the grace. Your grace will meet me, although I feel tired and I feel limited in the moment. That's where sacrificial, the sacrifice lies. Like, God, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to lay my neck on the line or, you know, my reputation, whatever. You know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give. But I need your grace to come through, and he always does. He's that faithful shepherd. But then finally, uh, as we were just saying, let's be theological. Let's not neglect the word. Let's not neglect understanding what God's purposes are. Let's be biblically informed as we go about surrendering ourselves to the one who is worthy of it all. Sound good? All right, I'm going to take the risk here with just a few minutes. Any questions or thoughts? Since we're smaller, I just want to... Tommy, what are you thinking? <laughs> what do you mean by it? Yeah, I, you know, uh, if I'm hearing you right, I think the Spirit always honors. Like, he, he works according to our faculties, right? So you're, when, when we're saved, our conscience, for instance, is reoriented. Right? And that's part of the Holy Spirit. He, he, he works through our own faculties. That's why when we talk about prophetic words, it's not like this light that shines and this writing on the wall, but he speaks through your thoughts. Right? Your internal dialogue. He's speaking. And so part of the fact is that he utilizes our own faculties. So it's important for us to not just sit back and say, all right, you know, Holy Spirit, write it on the wall. But maybe I should go explore this act of service or sacrifice. Just, all right, Lord, does this resonate with my heart? Are you leading me into this? Or are you leading me into that? Right? Just, he, he's going to utilize our, our research, so to speak, and he's going to utilize just kind of uh, us gaining an awareness of what could be helpful. So I think we can be proactive, but ultimately I think, like, let our dependence lie on the Spirit, and he will lead. He will guide. He sometimes calls us into stuff that it's like, I did not want to be a pastor. I, I grew up in a church planner's home. I knew all the crap that happens in churches. You know, you see it all your life. You see the tears on the inside. 
See the tears of mom and dad just saying, can we get through another week? You watch all that. And then I begin sensing in my own heart and life the spirit calling me to pastoral ministry. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. No way. Just no way. I'm running the other way. It's a Jonah experience. But even God was faithful in that to, like, catch me in my brokenness and my running. Like, I wanted to find joy in the world. I, it was actually part of the argument with God. is like, you're not giving me the joy that I want anyhow, so I'm, I'll go find it somewhere else. Alcohol was the go-to. Made me feel happy. Didn't have to deal with my fears when I had alcohol in me. But he even rescued me from that. Said, here's, I'm calling you to this, and I'll be faithful to you through the process. And he has, right? He has. But I just didn't become a pastor, right? <laughs> just, all right, we got to explore this and confirm calling and all that kind of thing. You guys played a role in that, right? So, yeah, does that get to the question? So, yeah, I would say explore it, go after it. Yeah, and, and in some sense, test the spirits, First John 4. That may get things more confusing than not. April? Sermon, sermon number three. <laughs> uh, you can't help but say that Jesus is just amazing. Because he, know, he knows the pain of ministry, and he knows the pain of mission, and he knows the pain of following in what his father has called him to do. He knows it. And he knows the pain that this woman is going through and has gone through and has been healed of and yet still faces all kinds of difficulties. He knows it all. And so he honors her. So even in our in, in this past week, you know, you come away, and, and like I mentioned earlier this morning, it's like you come away with this giddy joy. You're so tired. But there's joy. And, it, and it's not like joy, oh, hey, job well done, you know. Uh, it's joy because you sense something of God's own pleasure. Like, God, I didn't want to do VBS. Ask my wife. I did not want to do it, because I knew in the weeks leading up to it are exhausting. And so you, you weigh the cost. And it's like, Lord, you want us to do this? And, and as, as the Lord had been leading, you know, he confirmed some things, even as, uh, you know, we've been meeting with Larry, and Larry's like, man, as a church, we need, to, we need to sow abundantly to reap abundantly. Like, let's put our shovels in the dirt, and let's start tilling, and let's put some sacrifice, let's put some blood, sweat, and tears into this next season of life as a church. So it's like, all right, let's do, let's, let's do it. It felt as though, to Tommy's question, the spirit was confirming, let's move forward. But God honors, you know, on the back end, he's honoring us. And, and this is the beauty of God. God is not just kind of running us through the dirt, do, do my mission, do my mission. He, he, he's so glad that we would actually share in the mission with him, right? He's so glad. And this, this, that's where I think he, he honors her. She wasn't seeking her own worth. She's clearly living out of the worth that she has received in Jesus. And there, there is this beautiful moment of he's honoring her, saying she is worth, she's done what is wrong.
and I'm pleased. The same thing as God promises his people as they arrive home one day. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I can't wait to hear that. I can't wait. It's good. It'll be so good. Like, for, forget reputation, name, mercy gate, or all that stuff. Someday we can stand before the Father, and he's just going to be, well done. Been a good and faithful servant. He'll honor his people. The way he works, he's so good. I don't know. We can keep talking about that. But, uh, any, anything else? And we'll wrap it up. Music team can come. Yeah, Russ. Yeah, exactly. So, you're bringing up a few things. Should we help everyone? Look, in the city, there is more need than we, as a little church, or the church in the city, could ever meet. Right? We just can't do it all. There's, there's just no way. And we haven't been called to do it all. We have been called to be about the work of evangelism. We have been called to do the work of justice, right? We can't do everything, but we can do something. And that something, once again, needs to be by the leading of the Spirit. Again, that's why I say, like, mission doesn't make sense outside, of, you know, that's why you have Acts chapter 1 and 2. Like, wait, don't, Jesus don't go out there in your own strength. You can't handle it. There's more need out there than you can ever, you know, accomplish and satisfy in yourself. You're going to need the work of the Holy Spirit to give you the strength and the direction and the wisdom to be effective in the specific ways that he has called us to. And that's what I mean. We have to be careful. Even Judas, Judas is taking Jesus to serve his agenda, and sometimes we can do that ourselves, right? We, we can kind of put the legalistic burden on us i got to go serve all these people. It's biblical. It's right. It's good. Well, has God told you to do it? Has he led you specifically to do this? Right? That's why relationship with the Spirit is so important, and even waiting in that time of prayer. And so should we be about these works? Yeah, of course we should be about these works, serving, serving others. We can't do everything. It's the illustration of the starfish or whatever it is that, you know, wash up onto the shore and there's the little girl, and, you know, it's like there's way more than she could ever throw back into the sea, but she, she does one. She picks up one and throws it, and it mattered for that one, right? It mattered for that one. Just make sure whatever starfish you're picking up, the Spirit's leading you and empowering. Like, you have a posture of dependence, like, Lord, carry me through this. Give me the strength to know where to go and how, what to do and how to engage the lost and the needy. All right, good? All right, let me pray. We'll finish up with a song. I forgot. Uh, one moment. Here's, here's how I'd like to finish up with this final song. Um, and it gets to verse 9. Jesus says, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has, been, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Jesus honors her. Let's take the Lord's table honoring Jesus. Right? 
Jesus honors his own, but our role is to honor him. It's like, and, it, and it's to think about, you know, maybe the stuff that went on this past week. And just as you take the Lord's table, the elements here, uh, it's to just thank him for it. And you say, well, I wasn't really there. Thank him anyway. <laughs> you can thank him. Honor him. Honor him. He showed up. He showed up. And he worked among the kids in this neighborhood who desperately need him. So, as we take the elements, um, yeah, honor him, thank him for what he's done in our midst. So, I'm going to ask that we stand, we come forward, take the elements on your own as we sing through this final song. Let's go ahead and come forward.